In our consideration of the truths, the history and the truths, the teachings of Matthew, we would turn to that book in the New Testament, in chapter 15. I'm going to read also the uh, parallel passage in Mark chapter 7, as we did last time. And we'll begin reading at Mark chapter 7 and verse 14 through verse 23, and then we'll read Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. The Savior is teaching here, he's teaching, and he's doing this as someone who's opposed to the teaching of another group of people, that is, the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 7, 14, or Mark seven fourteen. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, every one, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are the things that defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man from within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. As far as Jesus' teaching in Mark, and we turn to Matthew 15 and find the same teaching substantively, slightly ver- uh, slight variations of words as Matthew heard, in distinction but in complement to Mark as they were recording uh, these things by the Holy Spirit. Mark, Matthew 15, 10, when he had called the multitude to himself, Jesus, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, thus uh, this defiles a man. And his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand? Whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. As far we read from Matthew, that will be our text for this evening And Jesus shows here that he's not only king, but he is a prophet and a priest and many other things besides, all as he executes his office of Messiah. Scribes and Pharisees had thought to be lords over God's heritage, and they themselves had thought that they were more 
of more understanding than prophets themselves and closer to God, I suppose, than priests themselves. They were teaching an external religion, a religion of works righteousness and carnality and religion especially, which led them and the disciples away from Jesus, if that were possible, and away also from the very word of God that he brought and which prophesied of him. Jesus, on the other hand, is the great Messiah, the perfect king, and he's the great one with the authority of all the prophets and then some, and the great priest who would shepherd the flock and minister to them in concern for their hearts and their souls. At this point, Jesus is teaching about the external religion that was Phariseeism, that legalistic religion that was Phariseeism, that carnal religion which was Phariseeism, and that religion, therefore, which God abominates. Jesus speaks the truth about true religion and speaks of those Pharisees as adding to the law of God and making up their own rules, and therefore bribing the people by their, their, their terrible uh, browbeating education and their threats of excommunication. Jesus teaches the disciples and all who will hear that there is something very important in sticking only with the word of God. Yes, indeed. And he will teach also the true worship. Well, beloved, we want to learn from Jesus here, who at this point, and as at no other place, says this at the beginning of his instruction. Hear and understand. Those two words are not repeated as far as I could tell in my study. And Jesus has something here then that is vital for the disciples to know, to understand. He wants us to have clarity of mind on these things of the religion that he will teach and of this thing also of the origination of defilement. It's that important. Reminded of the fact that our catechism says that there's three things necessary for us to know our only comfort in life and in death, and the catechumens are learning that. The first is how great our sins and miseries are, our defilement. And so that's being taught here. We learn the first thing about learning of salvation and of of service, the service of God. And so those are my points. We want to learn of sin. We want to learn through Jesus' under, uh, instruction here of salvation and of himself and of the true service of God. So of sin, the Pharisees were teaching that uh, they were teaching their own commandments that washing hands was vital for cleanliness. Washing hands For meals, washing hands, not only in obedience to ceremonial laws, but all the time, much of the time, there was this externality of cleansing that was vital to their religion and to promoting their commandments, which required lots of washings. So that's why they criticized the disciples at the very beginning of this, this passage, the first part of Matthew 15. They say, To Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. 
What this is, basically, beloved, is teaching sin that is in things. And that's the first thing that they're teaching here. Sin and defilement and something that keeps you from God is a matter of externals. And whether it's this or that, whether it's wearing a hat or or not, whether it's washing your hands or not, this is what defiles a person or which renders them not only in the sight of the elders, but in the sight of God, acceptable in worship. And Jesus he reprobates that. He, he condemns that teaching. And he is saying in so many words, this is from hell. This is not helping you to understand sin, nor salvation, nor the service of God that he requires. In fact, it's promoting a doctrine of men. So in the name of God, the scribes and Pharisees were teaching this religion of externalities. This is the same thing that Many today teach a religion of externalities. And so if you avoid this, maybe you avoid meat, then you're being more faithful to God than if you're a meat eater, a carnivore. Or if you worship a certain way, which is not necessarily commanded by God, this is more pure than than that. And even in the name of seeking to be pure, they end up adding to the commandments of God and And this takes the people away from God. So externalities, bad things are not doing certain things, good things are doing other things. Maybe there's a requirement in the church, you got to all dress up. Might be a good idea, might be wise for parents to lead their children to learn respect, learn what church is all about by having the boys wear a tie and and the the girls dresses and dressing up uh, so that It's like you're meeting the king, like you're getting married, and as we all do in the culture, but Christians lead the way in this in respecting God. But the fact is, uh, to make these rules to impose upon people at all time as if they are commandments and in themselves are required for us to keep or avoid, this is going too far. The Pharisees, as we said last time, out of Maybe a good beginning of seeking to keep from Greece and Grecianism, Hellenism, and from learning the way of the heathen by dressing a certain way or whatever. They, they went so far, they started adding commandments and commandments and commandments, like fences, so many fences to keep them from falling off the cliff. That's why at this time, with regard to the third commandment, taking the name of God in vain, the Pharisees would not even utter the name of God lest they take it in vain. That wasn't the right way to do it. God in other places says, call upon my name. Not just uh, refrain from calling upon my name and seeking that not to avoid the commandment. So this is a problem. The problem in thinking that in things and maybe fasting is, is much holiness and in not fasting is much gluttony and will lead to gluttony for sure. And eating certain foods and engaging in certain religious incantations and so on, maybe praying a prayer over and over again, there's going to be some kind of holiness developed. And if you don't do it, some kind of uncleanliness that's going to attach to your soul as well as your skin. 
The second thing, the problem with the teaching of the elders and the scribes and Pharisees in their, um, in their wake is that they were, in fact, teaching uh, commandments of men. They were teaching, instead of the commandments of God, commandments and traditions of men, as if they had authority. Jesus blows that away when he says, yeah, for all your commandments of men, here's what you do. You end up, uh, you, you end up in conflict with other commandments of God. And so they were seeking to worship God, and then they said, this means we, we can't honor our parents with our substance because we devoted this, and this is a good thing. We've devoted this gift, this 401k, this whatever, to the service of God. And so mom and dad, you're going to have to go on the dole somewhere, maybe get some help from the government, but we can't help you at all because we are so pious, and you wouldn't want us to be impious by taking our gift away from God, would you? Jesus says, that's a bunch of baloney. The first and the table, second table of the law, they go together. If you're going to be truly pious, you're going to be worshiping God, and you're going to be loving people and honoring your parents. And so this is all wrong. It's not about the things that enter into your mouth. It's not about the things that uh, may, are made up by human beings. But he gets to the heart of it, and he says this. Do you not understand whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's just a thing. It's just a thing for your body. It's just a thing that has to be gotten rid of and the good things are assimilated by the blood and so on and they help the organs out and all of that. But this is not something that has to do with morality and soul cleansing or soul strengthening, not the way you're making this. It's important what we eat and drink. It's important what we take in, not only into our mouth, but into our eyes. And so certainly we, we take in pornography that's going to be hurtful to us. But there's so many things and so many ablutions and washings and all these manner of, of, uh, of, of our activities that are neither here nor there. They do not defile if we don't do them or we do them. They do not add to our spirituality if we don't do them or we do them. These are not things that are commandments of God. Don't make up something that is. But Jesus gets to the heart of it because what the scribes and Pharisees were trying to do is teach what sin is. And he says, I'll tell you what sin is. Sin is that which comes out of the mouth, which comes from the heart. That defiles a man. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It makes no difference. But Jesus is not only here saying that he's fulfilling the ceremonial laws. He is doing that. Peter will learn that in Acts 10 when God himself in a dream vision says, now rise up and, and eat all of these unclean animals and so on. But Jesus is teaching here something far more significant, and that is this. 
the truth of sin and the sinfulness of sin. See, the Pharisees thought, really, by their teaching, sin was only skin deep. It's only what you wear or what you don't wear. It's only how many genuflections, how many bendings you give before the altar or something like that. It's only how much money you give or don't to the the collection plate. But Jesus says, no, sin is a matter of the heart. And what he's doing here is reminding everybody of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And reminding everybody of what the psalmist David said in Psalm 51, we just sang that, that there is an impurity within, that there is need of a cleansing within, and that in sin I was conceived and I was shapen in iniquity. There's this original sin of nature. Here's an outstanding text and teaching of Jesus about the problem. It's sin in the heart of man. How do we know that? Do we know that? And do we know that what issues from the heart is an issue of life? That's what the proverb has said, out of the heart are the issues of life. And so whatever comes out of the heart, maybe in your words, and Jesus emphasizes that, he has in Matthew 12 as well, he's spoken of the significance of words. Later on, he'll say, by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. How's that for shutting up once in a while? But what he's saying is that there's a foul pipeline No, a foul origination of all the words that come out and also the deeds and all the issues of life from this foul cesspool of a heart. And Jesus isn't getting into all the details of the casuistry, the logical, illogical reasonings of the Pharisees who were the first popes of the day. But he gets to the heart of Christian doctrine, which we need here, and which we present here from this pulpit, original sin. The problem is the heart. Jesus tells the disciples, you need to come here and hear and understand this. Put it together. Don't simply be moved along by these traditions you've had. Don't be persuaded by fear that the the Pharisees are going to get you because I'm telling you, the problem is not whether you obey or not the Pharisees, except as they disagree with God. Of course, you don't want to obey them then. But the problem is sin that you have and, and I have and the Pharisees have because of hearts that are sinful and of a nature in Adam that is sinful. See, the problem with the Jews, they were saying we have Abraham as their father. That was good that they had Abraham as their father. But they also had Adam as their father. So do we. And Paul would say in Romans 5, in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But in Adam, all die. 
And to the Ephesians, he would write with no flattery whatsoever. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The deadness of the heart, the corruption of the heart is that to which Jesus alludes. You get that? Hear and understand, Jesus says. Hear and understand. And then he upbraids Peter and the other disciples who say, please explain this parable to us. Not sure why Peter's calling this a parable. Jesus has just compared washing of hands and, and other teachings, and I suppose you could call it a parable. It's not technically an earthly story with an earth, uh, a heavenly meaning, but there's something significant here. Peter's missing it. Whatever it is, Jesus all but upbraids him when he says, are you still without understanding? Understanding is what he wants them to have. Do you yet, not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's neither here nor there. That's what happens to us all, just like in animals and aardvarks and so on. But you, people, sons of Abraham, who are sons of Adam, let me tell you, have a problem of what comes out of your mouth. And the source of that effulgence of your heart. Sin. Is that bad? And Mintz, there's no words in giving a list here and in Mark of what proceeds out of the heart. Evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Forget the unwashed hands. That's not going to cleanse anything. Not significantly. And whatever it was that God was teaching in the Old Testament about the washing of hands and the necessity of it, and the washing of the vessels and the lavers, the pots and the pans, in all the worship of, of those things. Jesus is saying here, God never intended that to be the reality of sin, but only a picture of sin and of the need of spiritual cleansing. Here I'm telling you, the reality has come. You need to know, to see, to hear, to understand, to put it together. Here's a basic Children, catechumens, all, all of us learning. The first thing we know or need to know to know our comfort in Jesus Christ, how great our sins and miseries are. You know, Jesus doesn't say there's some good that comes out of the heart. It's not all bad. He doesn't say that. And say, for out of the heart, even or even though out of the heart some good thoughts come, once in a while you get a good thought, you're inspired. And once in a while you love your neighbor, and once in a while you're faithful to your wife, and once in a while you're not tempted to fornicate, and once in a while covetousness doesn't enter your mind, and you've been a good boy today. And once in a while you speak truth to the neighbor and you actually care for the neighbor's reputations and, and once in a while you honor God and you're not blaspheming all the day. Oh, Jesus calls it like it is. Out of the heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, my heart, come all these things. And he could have gone on. 
Could have filled the rest of the Bible with all the things that proceed from the heart. Revelation 22, I believe, has a list of those who don't enter into heaven. Just like the list of the sinners and the sins that are mentioned here that come out of the heart. So when man fell, he didn't just break his pinky or his leg or have a sudden fit, but he'd be better after a while. Had a heart attack. And it wasn't only that half his brain was paralyzed, half of his flesh and stroke had a heart attack. And he died. In the heart of everyone born now, the little baby hearts. Not saying, you know, we learn this. It's something we learn. It is something we learn. How to be an evil person. We learned that. Humanity 101. You want to go take humanities at, at the education institutions that there are around here? You learn about how to sin. You learn man at the pinnacle of his sin and all of his progress and pride and, and so on. Without God, all of us indicted by the Savior's teaching here. And he calls the disciples to himself and then the multitude too. They're, they're in there. He wants them to learn though the disciples apparently get more instruction here privately. They're going to teach others after all. But Jesus is saying it's, it's that bad. Can Adam all die? You need more than ritual to save you. You need more than ritual to save you. I need more than ritual to save me. I need a savior to save me. You need a savior to save you. We need a savior to save us. So it won't be by all of the learning, won't be by all of the religious activity, won't be by all of the the stuff that we might add to the law and say, this is what we're doing here, padding the word of God in order to protect the word of God. It won't be by that must be by Jesus. And that's my second point here. Jesus is teaching of sin, and it's that bad. And he's leading them to himself. Beautiful. Now, he doesn't do that so directly, does he? He doesn't say, this is so bad here. And then he lays it all out, and, and I'm the good shepherd. Or I'm the priest, and I'm the prophet that you should listen to, and I'm the king of the universe, and he doesn't do that. Jesus is very wise and very humble. One thing, the disciples themselves couldn't take it at that point. They had not the spirit to convict them of the truth and of their own sin, and their understanding at best was as superficial as the washing of the hands almost. And they were slow learners, just like us all. And let's not put down the disciples because we have the spirit. And, oh, we know it. Oh, it's so much better. Sin is a hard thing to learn, isn't it? And to understand. Theologically, we can get it, can't we? But to understand that out of my heart, not just the heart, we can take that wrongly, you know, and not understand it. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. The heart? 
Yeah, the ideal heart. Yeah, the, the heart in the Bible. Jeremiah's heart, maybe, or David's heart, Adam's heart. He's a bad guy. He's the start of it all, maybe Eve. But my heart? That's hard to understand that. No. It's hard to believe that, hard to admit that. And that's the kind of understanding that Jesus is calling for here. Hear this and get it. Take it in. It's about you. It's about your favorite person. It's about your mom and dad children. Your mom and dad have that heart too. That's how they're born. They need Jesus and so do we. So we all come. We're all leveled here. We're all the ones who've had the heart attacks and there is just a flat line. There's no pulse. There's no sign of life except we pee in Jesus. And that's exactly how Jesus is so wisely leading them. Note here, he calls the multitude, verse 10, to himself. Then the disciples come to him, perhaps privately, among the multitude. But he calls them to himself. And uh, apparently, and again, the to himself is in italics, at least in, in my Bible here. That means it's not in the original but it's inferred, it's a translation, it's an, it's an interpretation. He called the multitudes, and he was calling them to hear him. As if the, the scribes and Pharisees, with their teaching, were keeping aloof from the multitude. They might get dirty, after all. But Jesus comes here, and he shows why he's different. And that he's not going to get dirtied by sinners... He calls them to himself. In fact, he calls them and not the blind leaders of the blind to himself. He calls not the righteous, self-righteous, but sinners to himself, as he does today. He calls you and me. Now, you, you sit at my feet here. You go right to the front, Johnny, Jimmy, Sally, whatever your name is, and you have, I got something to tell you. And it's time to learn. And note here, he speaks as one with authority. He had just uh, spoken of Isaiah prophesying in verses 8 and 9, in chapter um, um, 29, I think, of Isaiah. Yes, and who said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see how this connects with our sermon this morning? They were taking the name of God in vain. In vain do they worship me. Transgressors of the third commandment, the first, the second, and every commandment, making up commandments as they went along to get a following to them and to lead them away from God and his prophet and his Jesus. But Jesus speaks as one who knows the truth, doesn't he? This amazed the people when he spoke at the Sermon on the Mount. And he spoke with one as authority and not the scribes and the Pharisees. He's the one who didn't twist Isaiah. He spoke the Isaiah and interpreted the prophet Isaiah the way we all would read it naturally and with the Spirit. And he applied it to the truth now and to the situation that's here. 
in Jewry. So he offered the authoritative interpretation and application. Jesus, who is the source of Isaiah's authority. Jesus, who is the word before Isaiah spoke the word. Jesus, whose spirit inspired Isaiah. Jesus, who's ever what God would say about things salvific. Jesus, who's the Savior. And Jesus, who now is commanding attention and he's saving whom he will. And note this here. He is not concerned as his disciples were that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying, verse 12. Not concerned. He's concerned, as he's always concerned about things, but his motive is to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and it's not to save everyone head for head. Look what he says here in verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. There's people who are ready for judgment here. And Jesus is not going to get in the way of the Father, but he's going to do the will of the Father, lay down his life for the sheep. And he's saying that there's these people here, the leaders of Israel, who were supposed to be the vine. That's what God's people were called in Isaiah, the vine. But there's strange plants in the vineyard of God. They're not of God. They're not planted of God. They're going to be uprooted as well. And to use another metaphor, Jesus says they're blind. They're blind leaders of the blind. Let them alone, he says. Those are words, beloved, of judgment. Let them alone. Let them alone. Leave them in their sin. There's no hope for them. This is what he's saying. They're going to fall in a ditch. They're going to be uprooted. But Jesus is turning to the lost, and he's having pity on the lost, and he's, he's seeking to save uh, the elect of God who are given him of the Father. He's on this mission, and he has zeroed in on the problem, and he asks those and commands those who, who are under his tutelage. Now, you hear this and you understand you have to get this because then you'll be able to put it together and see why I have to go and die on the cross for you. There's no way out. You got a heart problem. The heart has killed you and made morally corrupt your, your very center of your being. There's nothing to do. But God must do it, save you, die for you, on the cross, in the perfect righteousness of his son, and then give you a new heart. This is what Jesus is leading to. It's not taught right here. But this is fundamental, and it opens the door for people thinking of the only possibility, of the only comfort in life and in death. We're going to have to have some help from, from, from God, from up on high. The problem with the Pharisees is they, they looked not deep but on the surface and they looked not up but to themselves. But when we're given faith, we look deep and we look up and we look to Jesus to save us from every corruption. And this 
is the beauty of the gospel of the Savior who teaches of the greatness of our sin and our misery and the absolutely perfect provision of his own self and his own salvation. You believe that, beloved? Jesus is leading us who know the entire New Testament, who have the Holy Spirit, to say amen, Jesus. Thanks for teaching us again and those disciples long ago who never really got it until after Pentecost. You realize that. They never understood. They couldn't follow Jesus in his suffering in the garden. They, they didn't understand why he had to be delivered over to the transgressors and the, 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 the publicans and sinners that he prayed in all his ministry long. Couldn't understand that cross which offended them too. The Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying. And they're still you thinking, you see, they're, they're thinking about human beings who might be offended. They're not understanding that God needs to be honored here. And it's not about human beings and their teachings, but it's about God and the necessities that are laid upon Jesus to teach the truth of God, no matter if it offends people or not. Jesus shows here he's not the popular preacher and he's not aiming to be, but he's the Savior. Preachers worthy of the name are not the popular preacher you might want them to be, but they preach the Savior. That's it. Just the Savior. And then service. The beauty of knowing Jesus as our Savior and that we belong to him and that he saves us and he dies for us and he gives us a new heart is that we can understand now. We can understand now. Grace. Lovely, freeing grace. Purifying grace. Yes, out of the heart come all these bad things. Out of the heart of the natural man proceed all these evil things. But beloved, we're new creatures. We have a new heart. And now there's these lovely things of God. I know there's the flesh that remains. And you can call the flesh maybe half the heart, whatever you want to call it. And there's sin, and so the good that I would I do not, and the, the, the lovely things that God works in me to think, they're all corrupted by the ugly things that I, that I begin to think very quickly. But at the same time, you have to confess Christ, don't you? And that he who is, he's begun something in us. There's this beginning of love for God. Isn't there in you? Isn't there now a passion, which is not a half-heartedness, but a wholeheartedness for God? Isn't there in you something that, even though there's evil, hates the evil? So that even your sin and my sin now is hated and detested, and it's seen as this foreign object that doesn't belong you have something in your eye, and it, it just bothers you. It's just a little thing. You can't even see it. doctor has to take a microscope and look at it. You finally find it, and the irritation's gone. He takes it out. How much more sin? It irritates us, doesn't it? 
unconfessed sin, something in our life that's, that's just, we're being hypocrites, we're just being superficial Christians, we're, we're not taking this to heart. Well, that's the beginning of grace. It's not, beloved, that you're perfect, but it's that God is perfect and he's begun his good work in you and you are his. That's it. So I want to leave you with that and lead you to the service of God. It won't be superficial. It'll be deep. It won't be, now let's wash our hands together, except to avoid a disease or something. But it won't be, let's wash our hands together and make sure we do all this together to avoid sin. No. It'll be, let's go to the Word. Let's go deep. Let's go to truth that sets the heart free. Let's go to the truth that's sanctified by the Holy Spirit so that the words of God become spirit and life to us. Let there be life in the congregation, in our hearts, in our families, in our single life, in our married life, a renewal and a cleansing where there was dirt. Let us learn this and understand this, Jesus says. Be in the word of God in this world so that you can be outstanding in this world. As the, one who's, the ones who sat at Jesus' feet, who love his cross, who believe his word, and who glory in his grace. Beloved, learn that, and we'll have learned something today of the wonderful instruction of God, who is our Savior God. And he wants us constantly to be in his school. May you be in that school today. Let me know. Let's talk together about this education we're getting. It's good, isn't it? Tough lessons, but good. We're glad to be in that school of Christ all the way to heaven and heaven's purification. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us and give us, Lord, to respond to the word with true and eager service. May we serve you as we're given to do in their hands and our hearts and minds and souls. We love you and love one another. We love your cause. Thanks, Lord, for the good listeners here, the ones who truly would take this to heart, a congregation full of them. Thanks, Lord, that you would give us to want to serve you better and to be more inflamed with truth and zeal because Jesus is our master teacher not only, but he is the master of the universe and our Lord and our Savior now and forever. Hear our prayers and bless and sanctify the word that's declared in all the weakness that it has been declared in and also sanctify our hearing and we pray that we may have good ears and hearts to take to heart what we've needed to hear tonight. For Christ's sake, amen.